0: and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mark chapter 8. For you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man To gain the whole world and forfeit his soul for what can a man give in return for his soul for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels this is the gospel of the lord praise to you lord christ Bishop Julian, will you come and open the scriptures to us?
1: Will you pray with me? Lord, may your word be our rule. May your Holy Spirit now be our teacher. And may your Son's greater glory always, not just today, but every day, may your Son's greater glory always be our supreme concern. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in very exciting times. Knowledge is expanding at a phenomenal rate. Science fiction of, I don't know, 50 years ago, mobile phones, Zoom conference calls, satellite global positioning systems are all taken for granted today. When when I was a boy, in fact, I'm still a boy, when I was a younger boy than I am now, I used to watch a cartoon called The Jetsons. Some of you may have watched it. Yes, we've got some Jetson fans here this morning. Some of you will remember that cartoon series about living in the future. Much of what seemed fanciful in 1970s when I was watching it has become common. Not all of it, but much of it has become common for us today. Education is also so readily available, as is entertainment. We live in self-absorbed times. Ours has been dubbed the me generation. There's education that says... Equip yourself, be resourceful. Psychology that says be confident, assert yourself. Materialism says be satisfied, please yourself. Pride says be superior, believe yourself. But we also live in very frightening times. You only need to open your social media feed this past week. Read the feeds from the country whence my accent comes from, the horror, of human fragility and failure in every form. Never has our cruelty been so terribly great. Never has starvation affected so many children and women and men on so many continents and islands. Never has the threat of global destruction seemed so immediate or environmental catastrophe seemed so inevitable. As one scientist said once, we're like passengers on a runaway train. There seems to be no one driving the cab. But it's not just the global or political that are under pressure. So too are we under pressure in the personal and relational areas of our lives. Life looks so promising and so interesting, and yet time after time it seems to fail to deliver. One actor said, uh, an actor who has appeared in over 100 motion pictures said, We come, we go, and in between, we try and we understand. It was Ernest Hemingway who spoke of feelings that were later to crush him. He said, I live in a vacuum. As lonely as a radio where the batteries are dead. Or what if Freddie Mercury, whose life has been made so popular just recently, who amassed a fortune and cracked countless of thousands of fans, but he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said, and I quote, You can have everything in the world and still be the loneliness man, and that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. How sad. Or what of Blaise Pascal, the 17th century uh, French mathematician and philosopher and physicist who wrote, there is a God-shaped void in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. That will be the testimony of those who have been baptized today. That will be the testimony of those who declare their faith and receive the laying on of hands in confirmation. It's my testimony and perhaps yours. Have you noticed that as you read the Bible, have you noticed that our desire for life, real life, authentic life, is in fact one of the preoccupations of the ministry of Jesus? Listen to his words. I am the bread of life. The Son gives life to whom He will. I have come that you might have life. I am the resurrection and the life. In Him was life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Jesus seemed to have no difficulty whatsoever in identifying a key human longing was the longing for life, authentic life, as it was meant to be lived. But he was also very aware, have you discovered as you've read the Bible and built relationship with him, he was also very aware that people regularly looked for this life in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways. He was frequently concerned, we read in the New Testament, to correct this misapprehension. And one such instance comes in this morning's gospel reading that Jim read to us a few moments ago. In fact, a rather tough saying of Jesus. So I'd be grateful if, uh, if you've got Bibles with you, you would open them at, at Mark chapter 8. If you haven't, it's printed for you there uh, in, the, um, in the service sheet. Or if you've got an electronic Bible like mine here, you can open that to Mark chapter 8, but don't check your Twitter feed while I'm preaching. <laughs> and don't be like one of the people in one of our congregations who sent me a tweet when I said that. I now put my iPad into flight mode when I'm preaching. And the smart Alex among you, I'll get your tweets later at the end of the day. Mark chapter 8. It's a fascinating chapter. It's impacted me. I shared it with some of the uh, uh, candidates for confirmation earlier this morning. It's a it's a fascinating chapter because, in that chapter, some incredible things have been recalled for us. Jesus heals a blind man, Peter confesses Christ. And then there are these famous words. They're thought-provoking words, very hard-hitting words. Look in verse 36 of of Mark chapter 8. For what does it profit a man, a woman, to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And Jesus expounds three very practical insights. I want to share them with you. They're not all original to me, but I hope they'll be as impacting to you as they are to me. The first insight is this. Listen, you can look for life, you can look for life in the wrong context. Let's have this verse in our minds. In fact, it's probably one of those verses that you want to underline in your Bibles if you do that sort of thing. It's not underlined in the Bible of the person next to you. Why don't you go ahead and underline it in theirs as well? Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. The picture in this patches here, looking for life in all the wrong context, you could say was of an executive with two business opportunities before him. The first opportunity presents some very short term fix, but exciting and quick financial returns. The second opportunity, a vast concern with quite extraordinary potential growth and productivity and both opportunities require the attention of the executive but what but but if he invested everything all his time what if he did and all his ability and all his finances and resources in the first and utterly ignored that vast concern and opportunity and all its amazing potential what would we say of such a man We might say he was a fool, short-sighted, looking for the quick fix. Jesus says, you can't make the fatal mistake of looking for real life only in the context of the here and now, March 2019. This is the difference, surely, between existence and living for Christ. You can gain the whole world. Do you see verse 36? Look at it there. The whole world and you can lose your own soul. Now, they're arresting words of Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, dissatisfaction with life and our nation and society and the world is surely one of the cancers of our time. It might even consume some of you here this morning I see it in some of my colleagues, my bishop colleagues. I see it in my professional acquaintances. I see it amongst those who are the most successful. I see it sometimes in myself. All of us know people who, sometime, who seem to have tried everything but seem to be satisfied with nothing, who seem to own everything yet possess nothing, who have been in, in everything and yet somehow are still strangely and profoundly empty. Perhaps some of us here are honest enough to admit that sometimes we ourselves feel like this. Not all of us, but sometimes we might all feel like this from time to time. Maybe, maybe you've played the uh, the, uh, the if only game. You know what I mean. You know how it goes. If only I were whom? Jeff Bezos. From Amazon or Larry Ellison or Mark Zuckerberg or Alice Walton, the heiress of the fortune of of Walmart, who has a net worth of forty two point five million a billion, imagine the tithe pastor <laughs> gaining the world seems so attractive, or does it? Because there's another side to power and wealth and success, and it's some so readily end in disillusionment. Just look around time after time. The Bible makes it clear that what you feel about money can destroy you because the appetite becomes addictive. One of the Rockefellers was asked which million he might enjoy making the most. He replied the next one. Howard Hughes was said to be the richest man in the world. And at the end of his life, he was an eccentric recluse, obsessed with his health, living in a darkened room, paralyzed by phobia and germs. Or Rod of Raquel Welsh, who said in a magazine article, I've acquired everything, everything I've wanted, and I'm totally, totally miserable. You see, Jesus says you can look for life in all the wrong contexts. You can gain the whole world but you lose something infinitely greater secondly here's another insight we see in this discourse of our savior you can lose life by all the wrong choices a wealthy man died and had a magnificent collection of antiques and treasures And at the funeral, a journalist took his minister aside in search of a scoop and, and said to the minister, how much did he leave? And the minister said he left everything. Everything. It's only when we stop honestly to address the prospect of death that the absurdity of so many of our ambitions and possessions and lifestyles and struggles are seen for what they really are. I'm always um, arrested in my Bible reading when I I try and read the Bible through every year. It's my pattern now for many years. When I come to Ecclesiastes and I get to Ecclesiastes 7, I'm always arrested at this verse. It's Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2. It's better to spend your time at funerals rather than festivals. For you're all going to die, writes the author, and when, and you should think about it while there is still time. It's a rather chilling way to start your day in your Bible reading. We're all in the same position, aren't we? All of us. You can be struck by a car crossing Fifth Avenue as you walk home. You can be on a scheduled flight to Virginia as I'll be later today, Lord willing, and never reach your destination. You can get up An ordinary day, and you are struck down by a virus before you reach Starbucks for your mid-morning cappuccino. You can be preparing for bed like my dear friend, Anglican Bishop Robinson Cavalcanti, a hero of the faith who was preparing for bed in 2011 and was stabbed to death with his wife in their home. You see, brothers and sisters, we reckon with death not because we are morbid, but because it is certain. It's certain. It's certain. And that's what the imagery of baptism today does for us. We are burying the old self in baptism and arising in new life in Christ. You can gain the whole world, says Jesus, the whole world, and yet in truth you have nothing, nothing at all. By your wrong choices you can lose your life. And here's the tragedy. Look with me in our passage, verse 37 of Mark chapter 8. Once you've discovered you've lost it, it's too late. It's too late. Our choices matter. They matter today. That's why I am so proud of those who are standing for Christ today in this service. Because our choices for Christ in this life, young or old, day by day, matter. They matter. Because when we stand before Almighty God, you know that great old hymn? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. Simply to your cross I cling. Every decision you take, every choice you make, is doing something to yourself. It's making you a certain kind of of person. It's taking you closer to God or further away from Him. And it's perfectly possible to gain everything you set your heart's desire on to fulfill every single ambition and wake up one morning to discover that you've missed the most important thing of all, the most valuable thing in the world, that relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, my dear people of God, according to the teaching of our Lord and Savior in this passage, this gospel passage, you can lose your life by the wrong choice. The fact that you can lose it now in terms of peace with God and personal integration, and you can lose it finally at death through separation from God and judgment. There are many images of hell in the New Testament. Most of them, in fact, Come from the words of Jesus. God the Father entrusted the majority of the teaching about hell only to Jesus. You read the New Testament, you'll discover that. That suggests to me that that teaching is significantly important. There's one image of hell which is a rubbish dump, a trash heap outside of Jerusalem. There's another image of being shut out of a great feast, lonely, unable to enter. There's an image of outer darkness where the soul is isolated and excluded from love. And the tragedy it is, often by our choices, that we exclude ourselves because we refuse to accept God's love call or to acknowledge the approaches of Christ, even those of us who are within His church. And we discover to our eternal cost, as my Virginia colleague and fellow Anglican Os Guinness writes, hell is nothing less than the truth known too late. So you can look for life in the wrong context. You can try to gain the whole world. You can lose your life by the wrong choice and you may lose your soul. And thirdly, You can live your life by the way of the cross. I return to Os Guinness in his fine book, Dust to Death. He says this, and I quote, Too often, Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It has been found too demanding and not tried. The clarity and sufficiency of the Christian claims have objectivity but not neutrality. They compel choice. They compel choice. The whole thrust of these verses in this gospel passage this morning is that you have a choice. A choice. Each and every one of us, a costly choice. The argument begins at verse 34, and let me begin to draw this together. If you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then that presupposition is underlined in the following verses, in a sense, for emphasis for, look at it, verse 35, for whoever would save his life and lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forth it his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here is the only effective antidote to dissatisfaction. Here is the prescription of life that will be, which will find. Genuine contentment. Here is the profile for the perfectly fulfilled human life here and hereafter. And it hits those of us who suspect that human fulfillment is about personal pleasure and self-satisfaction and material acquisition, like an unexpected hard blow to the stomach. In my earlier days, I would have said that another way. When Jesus promised, as he still does, abundant life, here is what it looks like. Notice it's, it's, it's not about revenue streams or power or acquisitions. It's in, in fact, it's about losing ourselves. It's about taking up our cross. It's about following Christ, following him. Verse 34, notice the order. If anyone, any one of us, anyone at all would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. Notice the order of our Lord's words. Denying oneself. Taking up one's cross daily. Following Christ. The Greek word, I said this earlier, that Jesus uses here in the New Testament for deny himself is fully and utterly disowning oneself and forgetting oneself and abandoning oneself. If anyone would come after me, let him do those things. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And in our own strength, such a demanding request is impossible. It's impossible. The Christian life is not just difficult, it's it's impossible. But that's where humanity, you and me, thrust ourselves upon Christ We nail our old self by faith to the cross with Jesus. In Emil Brunner's words, God says, that's where you ought to be. Jesus, my son, hangs there in your stead. His tragedy is the tragedy of your life. You are the rebel who should be hanged on the gallows, but I suffer instead of you. Because of you, because I love you. My love for you is so great that I meet you there at the cross. I cannot meet you anywhere else. So taking that step, that step on the cross, cost Jesus everything, it costs us nothing. And this is the faith we confess in our service today. It's the faith that took our 16th century Anglican reformers, bishops upon whose shoulders I'm unworthy to stand, Latimer and Ridley and Cramner, their deaths at the stake. It's the faith of thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters who are suffering for Christ today in Uganda and Nigeria and across North Africa and the Middle East and Southeast Asia. For what else can be given in return for a saved life but our entire life to Christ? So as I close, there may be someone here this morning who says what will it cost me to be a Christian. I'm thinking about it. I'm even attracted by the invitation. Well, first of all, it will cost you your sins. The moment you trust in Christ, that very moment your sin is dealt with, the case is closed, it will never be reopened. You may not feel anything, but your sin is dealt with. resolve then as those who are being baptized and confirmed today are resolving to turn their back decisively on everything they know to be wrong secondly it will cost you your self-centeredness i thought i dealt with my self-centeredness when i became a follower of christ only to discover that when i married my beautiful bride almost 30 years ago i was terribly selfish I felt then that I had dealt with my selfishness after listening to her gentle appeals. And I discovered when we started having children that I was still terribly selfish. To this day, I'm still selfish. It's difficult because we're proud, and Jesus bids us to deny ourselves. It means abandoning yourself, dethroning self and enthroning god takes a lifetime with god's help to do that and thirdly it will cost you in your service that's what jesus meant about taking up our cross a commitment to life of sacrificial service of costly love of effort of generosity in recognition that your life and your abilities and your talents and your resources are not a matter for your exclusive private use but they have a place to play in god's world in christ's kingdom and in his church and finally it will cost you your secrecy because jesus calls us to follow him and it's inconceivable that we should do so privately or secretly, no matter what the cost. On the contrary, Jesus always made a point of calling people, as we will do now, to publicly declare their faith. There's no place for a Christian that is kept in the closet if it's to be authentic and satisfying. So, three very simple lessons from Jesus. You can look for life in the wrong context, You can gain the whole world. Secondly, you can lose your life by the wrong choice. You can lose your life and lose your own soul. And thirdly, you can live life by the way of the cross. So I've reached that point in my sermon that demands a response. I believe that when God's word is read, And when it is taught, the Holy Spirit teaches us and invites us to make a response. The message of these verses is that it is costly to follow Jesus, and so it is. But you know, it's also costly to say no to his invitation. Perhaps there are some here this morning for whom right now is that moment to consider making that choice. Perhaps in this moment, just for somebody here, the moment to take a simple step of commitment, never easy, but maybe God's moment here right now. So as I conclude, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you to make it personal for you, no matter where you are on this journey with Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that as we read your word, you have been speaking to us and knocking at the door of our lives. We thank you for all the influences and the people that have brought us to this moment in our lives, turning our back on the old self, repenting of our sins and wrongdoings, Trusting ourselves upon Christ at the cross. Thank you that it's there that you meet us, that nothing in our hands we bring, nothing to earn, except your unmerited favor and grace and forgiveness. We're willing to follow Jesus, so grant us your grace so to do, we gladly receive you and we commit our lives to follow you. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen.
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city, and I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel, and if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emanuelanglicannyc.com give.